Uh, today, for those of you that are new, uh, you're, you're joining us as we're closing out um, our study in Psalm 23 in the series that we've called Church of the Good Shepherd. We started this series six weeks ago on our seventh birthday. Happy birthday, collective. Um, and so what we've tried to do is allow Psalm 23 to be kind of this launching point for us, that as we move into the new year uh, for us as a church, this time in like what is one of the most popular and most profound passages of Scripture would provide our community with a clear vision of the God who's at work here within Collective, what it means for us to follow him, not just in the year uh, ahead, but in the years to come. And man, have I been so encouraged to hear little conversations with many of you after the, the teachings on Sundays or at neighborhood dinners of just how this has been going for you this, this, this time with certain weeks, certain verses of the psalm sticking out to some of you in profound ways. It's been such an encouragement. But with this as our final week, uh, what I'm looking forward to is this stage falling apart and um, you guys getting a new teaching pastor. Um, as, as we return to, um, as we return from Thanksgiving, uh, next Sunday, we're going to begin our final series uh, for the year of 2022 as we enter into the season of Advent. And so Advent, for those of you uh, that don't know, is kind of the season, the movement, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's a way for us as Christians, as a church community, to move towards that day with intentionality, anticipation, and wonder as we remember the, the advent, the arrival, the birth of Jesus. Depending on what kind of a tradition you grew up in, uh, if you come from maybe more like high church liturgical, you're like, yes, advent, you're ready for the calendar, you know, stuff and the vestments and me lighting candles. We're not going that far. Um, but for some of you, it was just like normal church stuff. And then it would, you just walked in, you know, on like the Sunday before Christmas. And you're like, oh yeah, Christmas time. Uh, we're, we're wanting to learn from church history here that, that Christmas, get, being able to get in that spot, takes intentionality. It takes a couple weeks to get there. And so that's what we're going to be doing as we look at the Advent themes of hope, love, joy, and peace. So I hope that you'll be back next week, but also that you'll uh, invite somebody to come with you as we investigate this together. But we have one last verse in Psalm 23. And so if you uh, have your Bibles there, would you turn in Psalm 23 this morning? If you do not have a Bible with you today, or you don't have a Bible at all, we have Bibles on the table in the back of the room uh, that you can utilize and grab. We're going to be on page 308 of those Bibles. And if you do not have a Bible at all, um, feel free to grab that and take that with you um, as you head home today as our gift to you. As you're turning there, and as a bit of a recap... Psalm 23 is a poetic meditation on life with God and all of it through this imagery of a shepherd and his sheep. And so as we've made our way through the previous five verses, we've looked at the satisfaction and rest that comes from God, our shepherd. We've looked at the renewal and guidance that he offers and brings to us. We've seen in the darkest valley how he takes the worst moments of our lives and is able to use even those as an avenue, as a place of transformation and communion. And last week with Pastor Isaac, we looked at verse five and the overflowing provision of God for us. And today though, with the final verse, we're asking, where does all of this lead? Where does the shepherded life end and how do we get there? With your Bibles turned to Psalm 23, I would invite you to join me in standing for the reading of God's word today. For those of you who are able, we do this each week as we read from the scriptures. 
One is a way of acknowledging that what we're reading is the Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures, and we want to receive them as such. But also, at least for me, uh, it, being a part of a, a church that stands is just this reminder of like what I'm reading right now is not just for like my little brain on a stick, but my whole embodied self. And so I want to read it as such. And so Psalm 23, let's pray and then we'll read. Holy Spirit, would you speak through these inspired words uh, to your people today? Would you invite us into the shepherded life with a greater awareness of where you're leading us and how you're getting us there? Holy Spirit, open us to the invitation that is a life of being shepherded by you, God. Would you speak one more time through Psalm 23 this morning? The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, over the past 10 years of marriage, one of the things that Aaron and I have learned about myself is my need for a destination. Whether that is for a Saturday excursion, a hike, or how we spend our time on vacation in a new city, I need some vision of what we're doing it for. What are we hiking towards? What are we walking into? I need some destination. It could be a little hike, and then there's like, you know, a tiny little waterfall. Okay, cool. At least we did the thing we came to do. Or a view of the city, or some particular bookstore, or Chalada Thai off PCH. Or anyone? Come on, y'all. You're welcome. The best Tom Ka. Um, now I'm hungry. Um, we're all going to be like dry, getting on the PCH to go get uh, lunch today. Anyway, um, or ice cream. It could be anything. I just need, what, am, what are we leaving the house? What are we doing for? If I'm hiking, why are we doing this thing? Where are we going and why are we doing it? Some purpose or end point, something that we're moving towards, some moment that becomes the like point of intent of all that we're doing. Aaron, meanwhile, loves moseying. Moseying, for those of you who are unaware with this wonderful word, is where you walk, you hike, you drive without any special purpose. You're just bleh, doing it. You can tell. <laughs> so you, you can see already and easily imagine how our personalities regularly clash in mutual frustration over the past 10 years of marriage. It led to one Saturday morning a few years ago, Aaron, like, we're trying to make plans, but she's just like, I just want to go and do and I'm like, well, what are, for what? Like, where are we get? Like, you want to just... What's the hike? What's on the hike? What am I looking forward to? I just want to walk. I can do that anywhere. Like, what's the cool thing about the hike? Is there a view? What do you know about this? Like, look at the Yelp review. And she's like, they don't have hikes on Yelp. And so she, it led to her one day saying, exasperated, I just need to find the hike that has a brewery at the end. To which I was like, yes and amen. This is all that I've been asking for is this kind of a hike. Now we're going to return to the moseying in a moment because I've got a lot more to say about it. But 
I don't think I'm alone in my desire for a destination. And you don't have to be a weirdo type A personality like myself. We all desire a destination. If not for our weekend plans, then absolutely for our lives. Like we on, you only have, you think about a Saturday. I've only got one day this week to do Saturday stuff. You only have so many years of your life and you don't want to waste them. You don't want to look back on decades and feel like a pinball bumping around in a machine. We all desire what the author Cal Newport calls the deep life, a life intensely focused on the things that really matter. But that requires us to name the things that really matter. We need our lives to have a destination so our days can have intention. We want to wake up in the morning and have a life that we're actually looking forward to because we know what to expect out of it. We know what we're made looking for, made for, if you want to use that language. We intrinsically desire for our lives to have some goal, some purpose, what the ancient philosophers called our telos. Our telos, that place that our lives are heading towards, that thing that our lives make sense within, our destination, our telos. If the telos of an acorn is the oak tree, we desire to know what, it, what is it that I am? What is the me that's in this one form that over the years I'm going to become? What is the telos of Ryan? What is the destination of who am I to become? of where am I going through all of this? And so we need to name this because we need, you need that. A life of despair, a life of dejection is one that comes because of the absence of some destination. But it's not enough to just name your destination. Once you figure out who it is that you're becoming, your telos or who you want to become, you need to figure out how you're going to get there. What we might call transportation. How are you, the logistics. How am I going to get from point A to point B? If the transportation of the acorn is the oak tree, is like water and soil and sun and time, what are those variables and things that I need in my life to get me from here to there? I need to figure out how I'm going to get from here, my origin point, to that desired destination. Now, granted, a lot of this might feel like too much philosophy and not enough coffee for this morning, a little abstract, but the simple truth is this. Your life needs a destination for your days to have intention. And once you name that destination, you need to discern and acquire the proper transportation to get yourself there. And this is a weighty task, one that can and does overload many with anxiety and frustration and fear. Because what ends up happening is we spend much of the first half of our lives vacillating between all the possible destinations and transportations, some of us more than others. Some of us, it's, you know, we kind of bump around from a couple of things in like our 20s and into our 30s. And some of you are like this. Some of you have friends that are like this, that it seems like every week they have some new destination for their lives. They show up to work and they're wearing cowboy boots now. And they're like, okay, you're that kind of person. Like that's, I've got to come to terms with that. And then the next week they're like practicing magic, you know, over lunch. Oh, you're a magic guy now. Like that's the, that's where you're going. So we, we spend the early years trying to figure out who we are and trying to figure out how we're going to get there only to then have something, this turning point in our lives where we then spend much of our second half in an existential crisis of, oh my gosh, did I pick the right thing? Did I pick the right destination? And did I, am, I, am I entering into the right transportation to get myself there? This is much of what happens with many people in their midlife crisis is they get to the house and the spouse and the kids and the car and the job and the career and they're realizing they've moved in a destination that they're not quite sure they wanted. 
Or at the very least, they've picked a transportation that they don't want. You see, there's so much anxiety, fear, frustration that comes in you figuring out your destination and your transportation. And this is the gift of Psalm 23, 6. For those of us who are willing to receive it, and I'm not assuming that all of us are there, but for those of us willing to receive it, what's the gift of Psalm 23, verse 6, is that God, our shepherd, has named our destination for us. He has seen to the transportation. And that may feel like an absolute surrender of your life to someone else, and yes, it is. But in doing so, there comes a clarity and a confidence that's able to replace the anxiety that sits in the back of your mind through most of your lives. Did I pick the right thing? Did I pick the right thing? 23.6 invites us to a destination and a transportation, both of which have been seen to, that it is no longer you in control, but as 23 verse one says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one leading me into this. So today I just wanna consider what is our destination and how do we get there? How, what's the shepherd up to? At the end of Psalm 23, where does all of this psalm lead us and what's the invitation for us today? Well, the final line of Psalm 23 will actually end not at the beginning of verse 23, but at the end. Because appropriately, the end goal of the shepherded life of Psalm 23 is the ending verse. The telos of the Psalm 23 life is, I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. The destination that your shepherd has for you is you dwelling in his presence, you abiding with him, you making your home in his house, you finding the rootedness that your soul longs for, not in the circumstances of your life, but in the presence of God with you. Now, David, in writing verse six of Psalm 23, when he talks about the house of the Lord, for him and his imagination, what he's referring to would have been the tabernacle tent in this age, this place, this tent that you'd go into. God's presence was here. This is where we met with God. That's the house of the Lord, the hot spot of his presence. In the generations after David, they would have read this verse and they'd be considering the giant Jerusalem temple that was built by David's son Solomon, the place where God's presence dwelt, where the priests were working, sacrifice and forgiveness was made, worship all happened. This is where God was. But both of these were understood as a replacement for what was lost in the opening pages of Scripture. The Garden of Eden, this initial vision of humanity, not just priests, but all of humanity dwelling and living in the presence of God, where all of creation is this garden place, this house of the Lord. And so this, when we talk about what does it mean to dwell in the house of the Lord, we're talking about finding ourselves, our lives being built up in a sacred space. Finding our lives is the place where God dwells with humanity, where heaven and earth touch, where God's space and our space overlap. The scriptures tell us that in God's presence, in paradise, in the garden, in with him, there's found freedom, there's found beauty and forgiveness, fullness of joy, pleasures forever, rest, life. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the house of the Lord. And so we might say that Psalm 23, the destination the shepherd has for his people is his invitation of Mikasa Esukasa. My house is your house. My home is your home. This is what Psalm 23 builds up to, is where you hear God looking over you and saying, my life is your life. And for us in turn to say the same, and my house is yours. My home, my life is yours. Now, for those of you who are with us in the series just before this, How to Read the Bible, you might be recognizing what we're kind of, you might be smelling what we're stepping in right now. Recognizing what we're hinting at, pointing to, is the three-part promise that unifies all of Scripture. 
quoted and restated over and over again, alluded to, I would argue, on every single page. Just to take us back a few weeks, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says that I will dwell and walk among them and they will be my people and I will be their God. And so this is what Psalm 23 is hinting at. Here, here you go again. You thought I was joking on the Sunday when I was talking about it. This is on every page of the Bible right here in Psalm 23. Here it is. I will be their God. They will be my people and we will dwell together. It's what all of the scriptures are about. And as the story of scripture continues, we find that what was patterned in the garden in the first pages, what was provided in the tabernacle and then in the temple was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Next month, what is Christmas all about? That in the birth of Jesus, we as the, as the people of Jesus, as Christians, what we believe is happening there is that God, in the words of John, took on flesh and dwelt. The word is tabernacled in the Greek among us. That God, all of that temple dwelling that was happening in tabernacles and temples and gardens became a person in Jesus. Or as Colossians 1 puts it, in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Or as Jesus said, to the shock of his audience, one greater than the temple is here. More than a sage, more than a rabbi, more than a wise guy that you kind of cherry pick the things you like from him and leave behind what you don't. Jesus claims to be this human house of the Lord, the overlap of heaven and earth, no longer in a space, but in a person. And so the invitation that Jesus makes of the life with him of, of um, John's gospel just echoes of Psalm 23, 6, when Jesus says, abide, dwell in me, and I in you. It's just a profound statement to have Jesus making here. He's claiming that Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, takes place in the person of Jesus now through faith and through the work of the Holy Spirit uniting us to him. And what's so profound is not just that, I mean, this is insane, that Jesus is saying, yes, I am the house of the Lord. I am a temple person. I am the human embodiment of heaven and earth meeting together. But what he then says is that as we dwell in him, I in you, I will dwell in you. That in the same way that the presence of God came into the temple and came into the tabernacle, for those who abide in Jesus, the spirit of God now resides in you. Jesus is saying, through my personal presence, through the Holy Spirit, you will become like me. You too will become a little house, a little living house of God. You too will become an embodied temple, a little human Eden that radiates the life of God, that as long as you live will be the house of the Lord. And like Jesus, you're just radiating God's life and blessing to your life, bringing hope and healing and life and peace and restoration and justice and freedom to the world around you. These little moving gardens of Eden throughout the world. Or in the words of Paul, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Your, yourself, as you abide in Jesus, becomes a little hot spot of God's presence in this world. I believe this is exactly what David's pointing towards because his, his vision is not him saying, um, I will return to the house of the Lord as long as I live. He's not making a commitment for what he's doing with his Sundays or in his case, his Saturdays. He's not as important as like the weekly gathering is. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about his life becoming the dwelling place of God. The overlap point between God's space and humanity is in his life, in his as long as I live. And so this is exactly what then the Spirit is doing within us today. That as the temple and the tabernacle pointed forward to Jesus' life, your life points forward to what Jesus is going to be doing at the end of the story. 
When resurrected, we will dwell with God forever. When all of creation is renewed, in the words of Revelation 21, the final book, the final chapters of scripture, John has a vision of the renewed heaven and earth. And he says, then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them and they will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. And he continues a few verses later to say, looking over the new renewed heaven and earth, I did not see a temple in it because the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So this is just, note, I just, you guys are with me for a second here. Psalm 23, 6, that little line, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's like a wicked, like you're on like a small Wikipedia page, you know, and it's like a paragraph. And there's like, oh, there's one little link here. And you click it and it's the biggest Wikipedia page you've ever seen in your whole life. It's like that, Psalm 23, 6. It's like, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When you just like double tap on it, the whole story of scripture, like the telos of every human being and all of the cosmos comes into like perspective. That all of reality is about God dwelling with his people. Like it's just, I, oh, it's the telos of creation. It's as the acorn is to the oak tree, you and I and this world is to everything being the dwelling place of God. His peace and life and forgiveness, his justice being as common to reality as gravity. I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Now, those five little words that I want to spend some time on, as long as I live, because, man, they're just worth examining because they, they're, they're often, with most translators, nobody really knows kind of what to do with them. So let me invite you into the debate, and then I'm going to settle it very quickly, okay? So... <laughs> This debate's been going on for generations, but Ryan's got it figured out. So for length of days, um, as long as I live is literally in Hebrew for length of days, for length of days. And so this has prompted translators to scratch their heads over the generations. What's the length of days? And, and like, how, how long of days? Because the question is, is David saying, and you'll find this in different translations, maybe if you're reading from the ESV today, you, you'll see this. They understand for length of days as to be about an eternal length of days. And so they translate it, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Or is it an, our earthly length of days, which would be translated like the CSB, as long as I live. So which is it? Well, based off what I've just detailed and the unfolding story of scripture, well, we can answer, yes, both, both, absolutely. Our shepherd's destination is both a future place, new creation and a forever eternal dwelling place with God. And it also is through the Holy Spirit, a present pace of life, a future place and a present pace where we find our lives as the house of the Lord that we find our telos as being not just new creation, something we're moving towards, but also our present lives, a pace of life being the dwelling place of God through the Holy Spirit, that we are invited into a pace of life that is what I may call to the behest of all of my personality, a shepherded moseying. Where we move through life with the only destination being, in the words of what Eugene Peterson would regularly say, every step being an arrival as our primary focus and attention comes on being present to the shepherd with us. This is why my wife, more often than not, and I'm slowly getting used to it 10 years in, sounds a lot more like the Holy Spirit than I give her credit for. That in her desire for moseying, it's not just aimless wandering, it's being attentive and present to the people that you're with and the little things that you're coming into contact with all along the way. The destination is what you're doing. 
and you become focused on enjoying out of the depth of not just running through your life, moving towards some other destination, but finding the destination and being at each moment that you're in. And the shepherded life is both of those things. Simultaneously looking forward on the horizon for new creation when all things are made right, but also enjoying the goodness of God and the life of God in like right here and right now. It's a future place and a present pace. Now this present pace of shepherded moseying, being aware to God, being with us and through us in all of these different ways is what's been called in Christianity the mystic tradition. So this is just a deep conviction that God is present with and within his people and around us, but that we are not, except for say rare you know, occasions, um, actively aware of his presence. That's really, when you're like mystic, ooh, you, know, you think of like Gandalf or whatever. And all that it's saying is that God is present within all of our lives right here and right now. And so you may think mystic is esoteric or miraculous or something beyond normal experiences, you know, Gandalf or a monk on a mountain. But his brother Lawrence would say what he called practicing the presence of God or dwelling in the house of the Lord is stupendously ordinary. That the presence of God, the dwell, me dwelling with God was found, as he put it, in pots and pans and things, getting meals and washing plates. This destination that God has for you is to be with you both forever and today, both tomorrow and as long as you live. For you, his destination, what he desires for you, the telos of your life is for you to find earth, your life, your apartment, your home, your work, your commute, the relationships that you're within, your fill in the blank, ablaze with the fire of God's presence. For you to find your Tuesday afternoons, for you to find your your leftovers on Thursday night, for you to find the, the moments of trying to get the kids out the door, for you to find the moments of, of, of tension between your own loneliness and the relationships, for you to find in those moments of, of loss, to find those places as the kind of places that you need to take your shoes off because you're walking on holy ground. And so all of this is where the practices, as you've heard me talk about each week, the ones that we've been specifically detailing for this series at collectivechurch.com slash current series are all about. Practices are how we move the furniture of our lives into the house of the Lord. They are how we find ourselves wired and attentive to the future place, but it gets our attention onto that, that present pace that he's inviting us into. And so for example, first and foremost, our, our weekly Bible study as we... In, um, as we're doing our weekly Bible engagement and we're reading the scriptures individually during the week, we're coming here to hear them taught on and then we're gathering in our discipleship groups, all of what's happening right here is what? Us wiring and getting our attention to remind ourselves to the God that's present within this moment. But when we take that, we move into practices like meditation or memorization, what are we doing? We're moving our attention, our thoughts, and our words, like the furniture, we're moving it into the house of the Lord. Our generosity is us moving our wealth and our time and our service into the house of the Lord. Fasting moves our bodies into a place of craving, longing for, and even, yes, in this life, experiencing our dwelling with the Lord, finding him as sustaining us. And as we're going to see in January, Sabbath is how we move our days and our weeks, how we move our time into the presence of the God. 
And so these are, these are simple ways of what does it mean for me to dwell in the house of the Lord is for me to realize all of my life is ablaze with the glory of God and I, that what, what it requires me to do is like Moses, I, I referenced him a moment ago, taking off my shoes in realization of where I am, us taking off our shoes through some forms of habits and rhythms that get us like actually actively noticing the reality that God's right here with me. And my invitation is to be far more aware of it and to find that that's the destination that he has for me. Now, don't mishear me though, because these practices are not how our lives come to dwell in the house of the Lord. They're just how we move our furniture in. The transportation, the moving van of how we get there is what David details in verse six, just before this. How does God transport us to our destination? Goodness and faithful love will pursue me as long as I live. How does God get you there? Goodness and faithful love. In the words of my spiritual director, as he paraphrased Psalm 23, verse six, in the middle of COVID, and it's stuck with me ever since, he says, my, my shepherd has two sheep dogs named Tov and Hesed. It's the Hebrew words for goodness and faithful love. My, my God has two sheep dogs named goodness and faithful love, and they are chasing me home. It's an image that's grounded in the text. Is that, that word there for pursue is used in every other instance in the Old Testament in a negative light. Pursuit is used to talk about um, an army pursuing like, you know, the other army, an enemy persecuting someone, the chase of a predator. In Lamentations, it's used to talk about and identify a hunter. What does a hunter do? He pursues. He's on the hunt. He's on the prowl. And so how does God bring us to find our lives as his house? Our home is his. How does he bring us to find life with him as our telos? Well, like greyhounds in a race, each morning God opens the gates of heaven and they burst in pursuit after you and I. Like bloodhounds on the hunt, each day goodness and mercy smell us on the shepherd's heart and then they move over our lives tracking us down. This image is reflected in Francis Thompson's famous 182-line poem, The Hound of Heaven you've ever read it. One commentator gives a profound summary of that poem and also of Psalm 23 and what we're reading here went one point writing. As the hound follows the hare, never ceasing in its running, ever drawing nearer in the chase with unhurrying yet unstoppable pace, so does God follow the fleeing soul by his divine grace. And though in sin or in human love, away from God it seeks to hide itself, divine grace follows after, unwearyingly follows ever after, till the soul feel its pressure, forcing it to turn to him alone in that never-ending pursuit. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. In 2018, Eugene Peterson, a longtime pastor and author, more than 30 books, best-selling being his paraphrase of the whole Bible called The Message, passed away at the age of 85. And as a memorial service, his son, Leif, took the stage and before everyone in the room revealed how his father had fooled everyone, claiming that his dad only ever had one sermon and that somehow he had blinded everyone to his secret, that every sermon, each book, it was the same thing on repeat and everybody ate it up. They went out and bought it or they applauded the sermon and thanked him for his work, believing it to be something new. It's like, I don't know how you pulled the wool over their eyes. 
And the son was in on his father's secret because he had heard that same sermon every single night as his father would sneak into his room as a child, kiss him on his head and whisper that same sermon. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you and he's relentless. Psalm 23 says, as long as I live, whatever your as long as I live contains, whether that's your season right now of wandering through the desert or a season of you finding rest in his presence, or that's you plodding through the darkest valley in this moment, or you're just in a moment of enjoying overflowing cups of God's abundance. Psalm 23, six says the hounds are on the hunt. God loves you. He's coming after you and he's relentless. And so the transportation to the destination that our lives are made for, to find our lives as the dwelling place of God, is not a matter of you finding God, but you finding yourself as being found by him. To find that he finds you not only with each new breath and every morning and each goodness and each love, but ultimately that he has found us in the cross of Jesus. You see, when we realize that God's pursuit of us has been through all of our life, we then awaken to all of our life being the place where he dwells. And it's this realization, finding yourself pursued by God as long as you live, is what David opens with in verse six. If you'll give me one more time to talk about the original languages of the passage today. In verse six, if you look, it opens with this word only, goodness and faithful love will pursue me. It's a fun word in Hebrew. Ah, you gotta gotta clear your throat a little bit. Um, It's sometimes translated as yay or surely, but often it's not translated in your Bible at all. And that's because this word, ah, is a, um, it's an emphatic word of realization. So what that means, it's kind of similar to like our English, like do, like, oh, it sounds like do, like you think of um, Bart, sorry, not Bart Simpson, but Homer. Um, It's like a realization word. You, it, it's, it's, the light goes off, you realize, and you don't, ah, like, that's what it sounds like, ah, it's nine o'clock, like, we gotta, I gotta go to bed, like, or whatever, like, ah, we're late, you know, like, ah, you know, the, the kid spilled coffee on me, it's a realization word, these are just examples from my life right now, <laughs> so it's, it's a word of realization, what's happening in verse 23 is David, after recounting the previous five verses, has a don't moment, and he comes to a realization, Goodness and mercy, goodness and faithful love, they've been pursuing me and they will pursue me all the days of my life. This word shows up in the weekly Bible passage that many of you read this week, the story of Jacob. I want to read it, see if you can spot the ach moment. Genesis 28, verse 10, Jacob, leaving Beersheba, went toward Haran. There's a bit of context. He's just cheated his brother out of his inheritance. So Jacob at this moment, good guy or bad guy? Bad guy. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had sent. He took one of the stones from the place and put it there at his head and he laid down in that place and he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching to the sky and God's angels were going up and down. And the Lord was standing there beside him saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you're lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out toward the west and the east and the north and the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. Look, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Both David and Jacob have an awkward moment, that realization that there is something underneath and undergirding and at work in their lives beyond what they're able to tell most of the time. They wake up to what's going on in their midst that they haven't seen. A moment of realization, ah, right here, right where I'm standing, this is the light where I'm living. This is the dwelling place of God. Ah, through good and bad, through the ugly, his grace has been pursuing me and with me all along. And so if there's an adequate place to land the plane on Psalm 23, I think this may be it. For far too many of us, far too often, we have read Psalm 23 and we may even feel it in that moment, but then man, oh man, do we suffer from spiritual amnesia. We forget the incredible destination our shepherd has for us and we end up aimlessly then wandering after another. Like the flock of sheep in China that have been all over the news this week, walking in a circle endlessly for 16 days. You don't have to go far to wander. Sometimes you just need to get lost in the cul-de-sac of life. A life without a certain destination, days without clear intention, unaware of God's pursuit, unaware of God's attention on us, we end up finding ourselves and our attention no longer being on God pursuing us, but on anxiety, shame, fear, and frustration, feeling like they're, they're chomping at our heels. And so the solution to our amnesia is our own ach moments, where we look over and we find goodness and faithful love's pursuit, where we remember the shepherd's transportation, his, his pursuit right here behind me, him or us awakening to not just our forever, but our today destination. And so how do we get this? Well, for Jacob, it came to, to him through a dream. For David, it showed up in his prayerful writing of this psalm. And though God absolutely continues to speak through dreams, like you can't control them unless you eat like Taco Bell at three in the morning. But I can't promise that that's God. <laughs> can't control dreams, though God does speak through them. What we can control is our habits. We can build into our lives regularly scheduled ach moments where we find practices that awaken us to his pursuit. And so some of the ways that I, I just want to invite you to do this. I mean, first and foremost, like I talked about a moment ago, is, is part of why we're so big on the weekly Bible passage of you reading the text before Sunday, you know, give that out on, on Instagram or on our website, you reading that on your own, us gathering here, and then you discussing in your discipleship group, is you need as many ach moments as possible. But even more than that, some of the practices that we've invited some of you into is an evening exam and prayer at the end of the day to look back over the highs and the lows of your day in prayer just to note God's presence in the midst of them all. What, what is that? It's an ach moment. This is what feasting is all about. When we gather around the table with cups overflowing to reflect on and celebrate, to taste and see that the Lord is good. As an additional little bonus thing for us moving into Thanksgiving this week, how can you turn the table into an altar like Jacob? How can you make it an ach meal? It may be something as simple as a prayer or just inviting into the gratitude. Like, what are you thankful for this, this year? Having an, an additional one. It's like, what are you grateful? How has God shown up with you and through you this past year? And then finally, what we're gonna talk about in January is that Sabbath itself 
a day of stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping is too also a weekly ach moment that we find ourselves found by God. Like the, the reality is, is that it's honestly not that hard to build our lives around these kinds of moments, but we just live far too distracted. We, we don't remember. We, we, that's, that's part of what daily prayer is. That's part of what reading the scriptures are. That's part of what Sabbath and rest, all of this is being in community together is to get us reminding ourselves around everything that we need. For some reason, I didn't have this in my notes, but I'm thinking of the really bad movie, 50 First Dates with Adam Sandler. And, um, you know, she gets like, she, she hits her head and she doesn't remember anything, right? And so every, like, the movie ends with the VCR tape that plays. Where, hey, this is us. Hi. You know, we knew each other and we left. So that when she sees him, she doesn't, like, freak out like, you know, she does. And um, I don't know why that came to mind. Oh, these, what, with the invitation of the Spirit, I found it. Thanks, guys. Sorry. <laughs> I think the invitation of these Ock moments is, like, as silly as an example as that is, is, is having the VCR tape with us, having this video feedback loop that reminds us of the God that is with us and at work in us, being aware to his presence with us as we go throughout our days. Like, that, that is what the invitation is here. And that ultimately is what this weekly gathering is each week. That as we come together for worship, for teaching, for communion, as we remember and receive Jesus' body broken and blood shed in the bread and the cup, this is a regularly scheduled Ach moment when we share in the presence of God to reflect on his pursuit of us. When we gather together as the collective house of the Lord to dwell in his presence together and we once again find what? That the Lord is my shepherd to find that he loves me, that he's on my side and he's coming for me and he's relentless. Like this is what the Sunday gathering is meant to be. And so with that being said, let's, let's just move further into this moment together. Let's pray and just continue to reflect on who God is to us.